Welcome to Podcast with Cooper Cherry. Today's guest is Tariq Daniels. Tariq is an author. He's an activist. He is a uh, he's an organizer locally. And I've had Tariq on. Actually, it's funny. Uh, about a year ago <laughs> to the date, I had Tariq on to discuss intersectionality. And so uh, we did a little something different with this episode um, in preparation. We were kind of sitting and chatting, and Tariq asked me about what radical politics meant to me. And so we sort of just kind of went rolling, and it was so good that we just stuck through that. And it was a really organic conversation that I think everyone will enjoy, and it flowed really well, um, and there was some great back and forth. So uh, here is the episode with Tariq and I discussing things like uh, the role of China and whether it's a communist or socialist country, um, radical politics, um, and then on into a little bit about mental health. So uh, again, enjoy the episode. So... When it comes to radical in this pers- in this kind of uh, context, it's primarily anti-capitalist. Okay. And the the thought process being that capital there's a lot of oppression inherent within capitalism, and there's a lot of you know it's like if you're not meeting, well, I mean you de- you definitely understand this, <laughs> like, wait, wait. but I mean maybe the perspective is. It's more so like there's a systemic problem. It's not just individuals within the country or within the mass culture. It's not like they're bad people inherently, you know what I mean? And I think it's easy for like, it's like, you know, whenever people are racist or homophobic or whatever, it's like there's a moral issue within them specifically. Mm-hmm. But this pers- this kind of radical is more so you are... You're critiquing the systemic issues that lead to this behavior. Like there's stuff within our society that is causing people to embrace the this ideology that does you know makes them racist or makes them homophobic or transphobic or whatever the case may be. So that's it's more like critiquing the the sort of philosophical standpoint is called materialism. And it's basically and this is very like high level. So it's like, okay, so you're you're born into an existing world, an existing society, an existing set of social relations within within the greater, you know, society at large, right? And so those those circumstances that you're born into are dictated by the ruling class or whomever is benefiting from the existing status quo, right? Mm-hmm. So the game, whenever you're born into it, is rigged in that favor. And so the people that benefit from the system encourage behaviors and the institutions within American culture keep perpetuating these behaviors because it serves their interests overall. And that's kind of the really high level kind of explanation of what sort of these more, like I said, a more systemic approach to oppression that is sort of a lot of this being built into capitalism. And, you know, there's a critique, especially particularly in terms of race, is like, okay, so you have like the the white working class and the black working class and whomever, all you know, all the like different um, races or ethnicities or what have you, like we'll put race, races in quotes, right? So there's antagonism between these groups because of capital and capital benefits from the white working class being threatened by immigration or being threatened by the black working class, right? Because that serves capital's interest in itself. 
to divide the working class up because if the if the whites are separated from the black people and Mexicans and whomever they can't ever be there's no solidarity between the lower class and so they will never threaten the powerful uh the bourgeoisie the capitalists that run <laughs> shit right right <laughs> so yeah that makes sense but i was just wondering um with specifically when you were saying like transgender i just wonder like what i mean in general i get what they would fight for but i guess i just like on a capitalism you know theory i was just wondering like like are there just are they fighting for just like like we were talking about gender pronouns, right? Or they're fighting against, you know, um, I don't know. Like you're saying, like um, economical stuff. So like, is it more that like just economics when you see these people that's being radical, or is it like, you know, more so for them about being able to afford medications for their hormones, or or being able to um, list, you know, their uh, preference sex or gender on their birth certificate instead of what they were born with so that's like that's what i was just curious yeah it's it's really i think more it's both really it's like at the individual level and those types of things but it's also recognizing that the structures within capitalism sort of you know they're sort of oppressed and shunned because like um, you know, the, the sort of the new, the nuclear family, the, you know, that sort of idea Mm -hmm. isn't, you know, is, is perpetuated as the, that, that serves capital's needs because people, you know, you need workers to be reproduced. Right. So that's, that's an element of it. Right. But also, so (laughs) there's more so too that, okay, economics, it doesn't, you know what I mean? It's more than about and this is the the materialist analysis is is more than just economics like economics doesn't just is that exist in a box by itself mm-hmm. there are things that are inherent within the relationships and economic relationships that reproduce things socially right mm-hmm. with because what's the most you know what does everyone need to do you know you need to work to live right Right, and that's the basis of everything else that you do in life. Predominantly, yeah, yeah. it's it's one of the biggest things, and so that's where that's what like dialectical materialism or materialism from like a Marxist perspective is trying to do is say, you know, it's not just these individuals that are behaving this way because there is something specific about like whatever person that's racist or homophobic or transphobic or whatever you know the case may be. It's a systemic issue. It's like the base of society is causing these people to believe these ways or have these attitudes, you know, because it benefits in some way. It ultimately benefits the people at the top and perpetuates the status quo system of oppression across, you know, you know, predominantly economics. But it's social. It's it, it involves the social relations and a lot of it's hidden overlapped yeah Mm -hmm. it's it's a like you said a hidden agenda like um if like you i mean you basically just said if you keep people separated then they would never have the power or they would never have the money together to be able to even like you said threaten the people at the top or the generational families that continue to get more money and more money you know 100 years later you know um because you know it's old money is is still the, the way of, I feel like it definitely in America, right? Like 
isn't that the way I'm asking, I guess, like, what is your opinion about like old money? Is that a thing? Is, is that how this country is raised? The same people? I mean, to it is getting the money like hundred year, like the same family. Like, is it like a really twenty families in this whole country that's running everything to a certain degree? I mean, it's probably more fluid than that ultimately. But you definitely have families like the Rockefellers. I mean, Trump. <laughs> right. I mean, he's more like new money to be honest. But you see, like his father built this like benefited from all this stuff that basically like led to where he's at and then his daughters and you know you can see how that sort of thing builds but uh, i'm trying to think like who else um like the vanderbilts Mm -hmm. were behind like the railroads and um you know anderson cooper is his mother his mother was gloria vanderbilt so Mm -hmm. like a wealthy family and oftentimes these families and you know i was talking to you before we started recording about labor history it's like these people like rockefellers and whatnot they would hire back in the early 20th century there'd be a lot of skirmishes and fights between you know people going on strike and these huge companies like standard oil or the railroads and the railroads did all kinds of crazy violent stuff just like you know really just trying to like basically take people's land um you know, when they were building the railroads across, you know, just like the Continental Railroad, for example, but even down in South Texas and things like that, you know, it's like indiscriminate, like they would come and like basically burn people's houses down or just kill them or whatever. It's like, you know, if it was a Mexican family or a poor family, it's like they don't they don't give a fuck. It's like, who are you going to go cry to? Mm-hmm. You know, nobody cares. Like the white majority, the bourgeois people like, eh. <laughs> they don't care Get the because they benefit. And it's you can kind of see this too reproduced in, um, you know, something like today you have this big thing about the border wall and immigration, right? Because, oh, the, you know, the immigrants are going to come. They're going to take away. That's there's a, the, the bourgeois, the people that have money and wealth right now are threatened because their tax money is going to have to go to pay for goods and or services for these people right and they don't want that they want to retain what little like wealth and you know standard of living that they have at the detriment of these other people but the pro the problem being you know we're seeing a lot of immigration coming from central america mexico all these places have been destabilized because the u.s's policies foreign policy wise has always been to you know basically go into these countries, support these right-wing dictators, and, like, we'll go in and we'll, like, there was a democratic, democratically elected president in, you know, shit, I'm trying to think. It's been so many, it's hard. I, mean, I don't know the South American history that well, but places like Honduras, Colombia, Panama, Argentina, places like this where the, you know, the U.S. or the uh, people that live there have voted in, like, maybe a left-wing government well, that's in that's in conflict with U.S. interests, um, like corporate interests, for example. And you see this today too um, in Brazil with Bolsonaro. I don't know if you're familiar with him, but he was kind of like a Trump, uh, like a right wing, kind of fascist, pretty much a fascist, like straight up fascist president in Brazil. That's like very anti, you know, LGBTQ. Um, and was part of like okay so back before brazil became a democracy they were like a military dictatorship and so president bolsonaro 
actually was part of he was in the military and so he's got a lot of those connections well like wall street is licking their chops because now he's very friendly to u.s business interests and like chopping down the amazon and stuff like that so the u.s has really like destabilized these countries and created this whole crisis in the first place like whenever you like totally you know support nothing but the business interests in these countries and just you know, whatever the case may be, like if they have some resource like Venezuela, why do you think we want to be in messing with Venezuela? Because they right now have the largest oil reserves in the entire world. Mm. You know what I mean? It's always some interest. It's always some economic interest driving this. But that's what that's what empire is. That's what capitalism does. It's all about exploiting the third world and lesser developed economic places because oh, we can go to Africa and we can have, you know, whatever country can force these, like, kids to mine these rare earth minerals that go into making our iPhones or something like that, right? Mm-hmm. It's like there's no, like, these other places that aren't as developed economically as the U.S. We can exploit them and pay them very little money to do these very dangerous things because they're not on equal footing as as we are as far as, you know, we're an advanced developed economy. So we are exporting that stuff all across the globe and the and all the money is flowing back into the US while the people that live there in those countries are like they ha- are forced to do austerity right like all the social programs and things like that get cut you know <laughs> I mean, it, it makes sense it's like you said so and I also feel like um it comes to that human index thing right like because these countries are developing countries the interest of the people is on a lower level, right? Like, okay, you can't murder them, you know, but keeping them, you know, poor for the rest of their life is okay, I feel like. I don't feel like the U.S. really get involved in really too much in these other countries unless it is, like, lives being taken. But, again, that's all what we know, right? Not necessarily knowing that the U.S. would know more about, you know, the quality of life of the people. But like you said, like, with these dictatorships, they can – you know, have a agreement with that government, you know, to exploit their people and get what they need out of it. Yeah. And it's like, um, so I don't know how familiar you'd be with this, but in Greece, okay, so like in the, after the 2008 collapse, you know, the economic recession, whatever, great recession. So in Greece in particular, you had, um, so you had like a basically austerity measures. So, Again, like basically gutting all the social programs. And you had like places, those are things like the International Monetary Fund and the World Bank that have very exploitative practices to towards these countries. And it's like, they're like, okay, you're going to do this. You're going to cut this social program. You're going to cut this money because you owe us X amount of dollars and you're going to have to repay that. So in the meantime, you know, obviously the people that, you know, the wealthy people, they're fine because yeah. they're, you know what I mean? But it's like the people at the bottom of the socioeconomic ladder are, you know, they're just, all the safety net is gone and removed. And then they're the ones who bear the burden of this sort of behavior that the elites started, right? It's like the elites in the U.S., the elites in all these different countries, the bankers, et cetera, et cetera. They're the ones who create these you know, these terrible, like, 
things like the recession. You know what I mean? It's like all this gambling on um, financial instruments that are super complicated and like whatever. It's all about that profit motive driving behavior that, but whenever, you know, whenever shit hits the fan, mm -hmm. who gets bailed out? It's not you and me. It's the bankers, right? Right. They're going to keep their money. And so in these countries, like, for example, they have to cut these social programs. Is it, is it usually in countries that the government are not, is not obligated to have? Like, is that general the thing? It's not, like you said, it's not like democratic societies, right? Well, I mean, even it sort of can be nominally, but... I mean, even in the U.S., it's like democracy is not is not real. Right. It's not this idealized thing that they teach you in school. You know, it's like there's something like what forty percent of people in the U.S. that are can vote don't vote. You know what I mean? It's like you have such a low turnout, in particular with the lower classes, because they don't think voting matters, and it doesn't. It's like the only people that have money are the ones that are voting, right? Mm -hmm. Because it's like, if you're just trying to live day to day, it's like, you're not worried about trying to go out and vote. Or even if you want to, you have to take, you know, you can't take it. If you're working some shitty job, they don't want you to, they're not going to give you a chance to go vote. You know what I mean? And they're so, supposed to, right? What, two hours? Yeah. But it's like, you know how, you know how people are with <laughs> yeah. that kind of stuff, right? It's, it's easy. It's like, yeah, they, they'll, there's like a cost to be paid. Like they may give lip service. But if you're reading between the lines, you know how they'll be right, like. Like if you leave out. Yeah, you could go vote, but yeah. yeah, you might not come back. You right. know what, I mean? what are you going to do? Job. It's like, what are you going to do? Sue them? You got to go get a lawyer. You know what I mean? It's like, if you don't have resources, if you don't have money, it's like, what? Come. What are you going to do? <laughs> and then if it's an at will You're going to come fight me with your army? You know what I mean? <laughs> oh, yeah, that too, right? Right. They have the choice to just fire you with minimum, you know. Yeah, no to, cause or whatever. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It makes sense. It's all systematic, of course, right? For sure. So it's real. It's interesting when you look at it on an um, international thing and the connection that the U.S. have. And so when they keep saying China is the next leader in the world, China is the next leader in the world, like, I'm just curious as to, I don't know if I asked you that before last time. I don't think so. I don't think we talked much about kind of global economics. Yeah, global. <laughs> and we, we pretty much focus on like intersectionality primarily. I don't think we got too much into the weeds on, on some of this stuff. But yeah. definitely feel free to ask away. <laughs> yeah. Because, so, you know, uh, me and my friend was talking about that. So if, you know, China, like what does that look like for even you and like your political um mode and your political feelings about America and you know what's next yeah or is it or is it just all false propaganda right like is it something that is not even real that China is the next world power I mean I think you have to definitely see China is on the rise and but they've got problems too you know um and it's China is a very it's a very, very complicated place, too, because you have, ah, it's, you know, so you had, you know, the communists overthrew the nationalist government there back in the, like, 30s and 40s, and uh, Mao Zedong was the, you know, he's, like, a greatly respected um, revolutionary mm -hmm. throughout time, and, like, even the Black Panthers were, like, Maoists and using a lot of the tactics that Mao used, which Mao's whole thing was organize the peasantry and create a mass political line to overthrow the bourgeoisie in China, right? So, 
you know, basically through violent, you know, revolution, they overthrew the Chinese system of government and installed, you know, a communist uh, party and system and everything. Well, over the course of years, you have a lot of liberalization. So in the 1970s, after Mao kind of went away, he, he ended up passing away. I'm not sure which year specifically, but his successor was more like wanted to open up the U.S. or not the U.S., China to trade internationally because they were kind of closed off um, from the outside world and at that point. And so you have Nixon, for example, goes to China, and that's kind of where you see like around 1970s, a lot of trade, a lot of jobs and stuff manufacturing in the U.S. starts to leave and head to China because you have a huge labor force. You know, China Chinese population was pretty significant even back then. Um, and it's an underdeveloped, it was an underdeveloped country. You know, it was a very feudal kind of society, agrarian society. So, again, less economically developed than the U.S. And so it's easy for the U.S. to come in and say, oh, yeah, well, here, you guys can make all of our shit <laughs> on the cheap and we'll bring it back to the U.S. and we'll profit off of that cheap labor supply. Made in China. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yes. That's the you, number one thing you see right? in America, made right. in China. <laughs> exactly, exactly. But now you have like this weird, and this is like it gets into a very complicated uh, argument on the left in terms of the socialists and the communists. Not so much the anarchists like myself because we're like anti-authoritarian and we don't agree with like a powerful state. And so in China, you have a very powerful st state apparatus where the state is really dictating a lot of, you know, what gets produced and there's a lot of state ownership of companies, et cetera, et cetera. But they are also embracing this, like, they have this weird capitalist, communist, authoritarian yes. hybrid, which is more like to the left of the U.S. In a, in a sense, but it's also like more, like there's more social control there to a degree. So it's like maybe the worst of both worlds in that you have like this kind of capitalist exploitation happening. And then you also have this government that's very like repressive against different groups. And like, you know, there's the Communist Party, like they're basically the bourgeoisie there. Mm -hmm. Instead of like the capitalists, it's like the Chinese Communist Party are the ones that are kind of like the aristocracy to some degree. And they're kind of like benefiting from all of this trade and such and such. But, you know, at the same time, like a lot of people in China have been brought out of poverty through trade with, with the U.S. And, and the global markets. So it's a real complicated thing. <laughs> yeah, it's a real I'm, complicated arrangement, you know. Yeah. And I guess that's where I'm at with it, like trying to figure out what does that look like? Like, is that a of course, it's not a model that I would want to go by, you know being a, a communist country but well let's let's let's, let's talk about this <laughs> because i th i think it, do you have like i think that's a good question yeah let's let's go there so what uh what it is about communism that immediately like why do you say that as far as you don't want to go that route but let's talk about that well i just think social you know the um the social um activities of the people like the freedom of speech the you know, the limitation of internet, the yeah. limitation of what you can see, what you're exposed to, that part, right? Okay. And that's totally opposite. Like, if, if I was a leftist, if I were to, like, 
you know, identify myself as anything, like that goes against everything I believe in. I feel like yeah. people have the okay. right to say, you know, I believe in freedom of speech. And right. even though it doesn't always work in my favor, of course, <laughs> right. I do believe in it because I feel like it's power for me to have it as well. And knowing that other people have to have it for me to have it, you know, and knowing that other people will feel differently. Yeah. And so being in a, in a country or a part of a, you know, um, society that limits that freedom or in every level. Yeah. That's the part that I'm like, wow. Okay. You know? Well, I mean, that, that makes sense. <laughs> I mean, I'm on board with you for the, for the most part. Free speech is a funny topic too, but I, I, so I won't <laughs> focus on that. But yeah, I mean, I'm definitely, as far as like, yeah, the government blocking what internet sites you can access. Yeah. That, that's like straight authoritarian stuff. So that's not what I'm about, but I think, that's not necessarily what communism necessarily means, right? It's more that's economic. how that's like how China is practicing communism or socialism. So again, this is like a very contentious argument about is China really socialist? Is China because communism is stateless, classless, moneyless society, right? Communism is like the end goal. The transition period is like socialism where the the dictatorship or the proletariat they call it basically runs the state and utilizes the state to implement communism so you have this weird a lot of people call it state capitalism as a critique and it kind of you know you have different tendencies on the left like there's so many little different sects on the left that would may you know some will support china because they're at least striving towards the goal of communism and you have people like me that I'm an anarchist. I'm like, no, China's bad because they're <laughs> they're embracing this economic liberalization or you know free market type like U.S. capital type interest. But uh, they're also not only are they embracing that form of oppression, but the state is like you're saying, repressing things like free speech and you know the types of websites you can access. Like yeah, no, I'm totally against education that. and stuff. But then at the same time, the other part of me understands um, what if, you know, you could be in a, in a country where there is no idea of poverty. Yeah. Where everyone is equal, the government control. And this is, you know, being radical. I'm not saying that I totally <laughs> agree with it. But at some point, though, you know, you think about homelessness. Yeah. Like I would assume, again, I haven't been in China. That's on my list. That it's a bunch of homeless people you know, around China. And to me, that would be the, the opposite of what communism is, right? Like, if right. it's a bunch of homeless people, that, that goes against the whole, you know, economic system, I think. But when you hear, and that's all you see, and then you see, even when you talk about mental illness and all that with people, like, a lot of the people that's homeless is because they have, you know, they have mental illness. In a place like China, is the duty of them to pick those people up, you know, even with those... And again, this is all just me thinking on a very broad level. Yeah, right. Again, and I same. I don't know their mental health. Yeah, I mean, I, and policies. And I'm not that well versed. Like I'm I'm not an expert on China myself. I just kind of know the broad historical. But if it is trajectory. a communist country and they are going towards that economic system, like in that way, then we shouldn't see homelessness and we shouldn't see um, this huge disparity amongst people and 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 wealth and stuff yeah. like that. And so then, you know, being a person like we was talking about last year, we talked the intersectionality <laughs> of people, right? Yeah. 
that again on a social stance, <laughs> the intersectionality of being you know queer minority, whatever minority that is oppressed in China and you know even woman, I can imagine they have even more or less you know freedom as far as like speech and you know journalism and stuff like that. But on the other hand, poverty is not something that they should be worrying about. So it's like, I, I don't know, right? Like, yeah. I, I don't agree with it for social justice reasons. Okay. But economical reasons. But then that goes back to show that when you were saying about how America is based on everything, really is based on this whole economic, you know, the, the half and a half knots. Right. And that's how it's everything, the whole social class and racism, homophobia, all these things is really stem from these powers of B. But if you look at China, and it's not supposed to be that way, but then yeah. they still have these, you know, social injustices on people. True. And it's not even about money at the end of the day. Yeah. Then what is it? Right. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a very, <laughs> very complicated thing. I mean, it's no small thing to create. <laughs> yeah. It's no small thing to create a new vision for society in itself and you know i think it it's it's easy for people that are in power to you know like it's going to serve their interests to be to keep things the way they are right mm-hmm. whether it be in the US or the or or you know people's republic of china we <laughs> <laughs> <I> got technica <laughs> <laughs> right but uh i let me draw this let me maybe point this out for you so like in the u.s you have i forget how many houses there are per like homeless like that we have more houses built than we have homeless people you know what i mean so and we also produce more food than like you know food gets thrown out right we produce all this surplus of housing and food and you know on down the line right but yet we have people living that are homeless and like Right, mm-hmm. <laughs> they should have somewhere to go. And right, and we have like <laughs> people going, people going hungry, people living on the street, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, whenever this is like, oh well, this is the greatest country in the world. This is the greatest system that there is, you know, and and there's no alternative to capitalism, but yet inherent in that, like, yes, capitalism is creating all this wealth, right? But where does it go? Right, it all gets funneled towards the top, and you know, it's it's all driven by this motive for profit and built in that relationship, like the economic relations and the social relations between people are tied together. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm not one to say, I'm definitely not one of those people, like there are people that th- think that, oh, w- capitalism is behind all of our problems. And once we destroy uh, capitalism, then there won't be any racism or sexism, etc. But I'm not one of those people. Um, but I think it definitely like capitalism is definitely responsible for creating a lot of that oppression, but I don't think it's the only thing, right? Because I think you can take a look at countries that are more towards the, like, like the Scandinavian countries, for example, they have a bigger welfare state. They have more social programs, all that kind of stuff, but you still have like Islamophobia there and you have, you know, sexism, et cetera, et cetera. So it's not so simple as, oh, well, we just be done with capitalism and then we're going to live in utopia, right? At least not in my opinion. There's still going to be oppression 
And that's why I think it's really important to figure out how do we merge class politics with intersectionality so that we can eliminate all oppression, right? And I think to me that's what the goal of of anarchism really is, is to destroy those hierarchies of race, sex, all down the line is to like destroy that, flatten it out, make everyone everyone's voice equal, whether it be politically or what have you in the home. Like everybody should have the freedom to to voice their like they should have their vote essentially towards society instead of you know. Well, it's I mean let's look at like the presidential campaign for example. Okay. Because you have someone like. Howard Schultz, the former CEO of Starbucks, right? This man is like a billionaire. He's running for president. Well, we have to, we're like stuck having to hear this guy and he's getting on TV shows. He's getting on cable news, etc. But why is he, why is this happening? Because he has the money and the wherewithal to make it happen, right? But, but I mean, do you think someone like that would be president? I guess Trump kind of took that away. I mean, yeah, because, all, because all before, bets are off. <laughs> yeah, all bets are off, right? Because before I would think like someone that wealthy and that, you know, that is obviously they're using their wealth, yeah, you know, to kind of strong arm their political, you know, campaign because it's not because I know him as the CEO of Starbucks who's running for president. I still and probably won't the whole time this election look at him as a real presidential campaign. Yeah, you know I will look at him look at him as someone who has money, and and see that Trump got into office. <laughs> Why not? You yeah. know, in whatever his political you know promises are, I'm not even going to be really believing it because I feel like at this point the whole. Um, presidential campaign is about to be so much fabrication oh, i mean God. to the 20th just wait, power just wait <laughs> like everybody because you don't have to stand on anything in any way at least before the lies had to be kind of like you know um <laughs> the you know the the the, the i's had to be dot the right. t's had yeah. to be crossed there was every, a semblance of like <laughs> structure right. in some way with a structured false you at least had to pretend yeah, you and had now to, the gloves are off. Yeah, the yeah. gloves are off, and so people will just be saying all types of stuff without even knowing that they won't be able to do it, knowing that they don't even care. And then you will have the ones who are, like you said, the ones who will really just be off the hook, you know, trying to um, get off on people' emotions and where we are in the country as far as um, the energy, you know, divisiveness yeah. and stuff like right. that. So when I think about him, the Howard guy. Um, I don't even look at him as a real, you know, there's so many people running in this election. True. Like, I don't even, honestly, I've never been to the point in my life, and this is probably what, what, 21, 33, was that 14 years, what, three, four presidencies or elections? Um, I have no clue who I will vote for, and I don't yeah. think I've ever experienced that before. No clue. Like, if you ask me today who I'm favoring, who is, who's in it, like, who's the Democratic Party is going to nominate, I don't know who's the, for, who is the front runner, in your opinion. Well, in terms of polling right now, Joe Biden has got a strong presence right now, but who knows? I mean, it's so early on, like, that shit can change real quick, because you remember, like, back in the day with Howard Dean, Mm -hmm. he was, like, doing really well, but he came out without 
and his shit cratered. And I don't think that necessarily something like that is going to happen again based on that type of a gaffe. But like, you never know, especially in this era with social media and how crazy shit is now (laughs) that it's, it's hard to even predict. But I think the real point to note is that like, even someone like Bernie Sanders is a millionaire. Right. right. It's like you at least have to have, be pretty in the, you know, I forget. I don't, don't know the percentage or the numbers, but let's say the top 10 percent probably of income earners in the country. Like you at least have to be at that level to become even considered for president or to be considered for one of these offices. Like you have to be pretty well off, period, before the even like the Democratic National Committee or these organizations, the party organizations will like support you as a candidate and start like funneling money to your campaign and resources and stuff like that. Like they want you to have like a certain amount of a threshold for like campaign funds raised before they'll like feel like they're going to invest their money in you. So you think Camilla is that wealthy? Kamala? Ah. Kamala. My bad. I mean, (laughs) I don't know how much money... Uh, Cory Booker has a lot of bad ties to Wall Street. <laughs> so we know you. <laughs> I see where you stand with him. Well, the, and the thing about Kamala is like, yeah, she kind of is making noises about being progressive. But if you look at her record as a DA in San Francisco and in California, she put up a lot of. She did a lot of in jail. Yeah, and a lot of, you know, just like supporting kind of this like status quo approach to. Um, the carceral system in general. So that doesn't, you know, that's not going to play well, I don't think. But I think as well, to me, if I had to put money in terms of who the Democratic candidate will be, I would probably, at this moment, I would probably push my chips in on Kamala because she checks off the right identity boxes. She's a, a woman of color. And that is, and a, you know, a lot of people's ideas are based on that rather than the record but mm-hmm. we'll see you know what i mean because even her dad that's funny did you hear about this so Mm-mm. kamala was on like the breakfast club or something like that and smoking, talking about she's smoking, talking about she was smoking the weed, <laughs> yeah. weed and like oh yeah i'm from jamaica or whatever because i think her i forget if it was her mom or dad is from jamaica um but i think she's like her one of her parents is like from indonesia or something mm. anyways her dad was like i they must have some kind of rocky relationship because he was like oh no oh no (laughs) like he was kind of throwing some shade at her for coming out with that comment (laughs) either i don't know if it and i don't know well enough to know if it was like oh why are you painting jamaicans as this or or like jakamala you don't you didn't smoke (laughs) trying to be down (laughs) like you're trying to be cool like so that's interesting i mean you know, I keep hearing, and I haven't really focused on it yet. I'm so, um, that's why, like, even being a part of this with you and, and just kind of, like, sharpening, you know, my iron, or what is it? Yeah. You know, just, iron sharp, uh, iron sharpens iron. Yeah, yeah. You know, because I'm so far removed, right? In this po- moment in my life, I'm, like, anti-politics. And, you know, that's never been my life. It's always been surrounded around politics and stuff like that. So... I'm interested to get more back into it and really, you know, figure out where we are as a nation and, you know, what is the political climate. Yeah. And really this election, again, I feel like it's going to be the most interesting one we've <laughs> ever had. It has to be, right? It has to be 
Like I'm talking about Madison Square Gardens. Like they need to like they don't need no regular, you know, <laughs> uh, what they have when they go back and forth and talk to each oh, other. Oh, the debates. Yeah, they don't need no regular debates. It needs to be like you know live from Staples <laughs> Center, like the WWE or something. It really do. I mean, I feel like it's. I mean, that's where we are. So you know, like let's be clear about it. Like you know, we're going to try to keep these traditional things with this mess of a political you know climate like if you know it's entertainment at at the best and we are led by this right now our society you know we we are um i always say we're um headline driven you know like you know with social media that is it's like this the spectacle yeah it's the spectacle of it all like we we're waiting for the next thing we're waiting for the next conversation like and that's not daily that's hourly right, right yeah, <laughs> you know for real. like or that, by the second now <laughs> by the second and so it's really entertainment even politics at this oh, point oh yeah it's to, totally been subsumed i mean even I, to be honest to me i think even well before trump came about and really like it accelerated for sure that that was like an inflection point mm-hmm. but i think it had already like well way back in the day had already kind of gone that way and it's just with the the new the social media now it's just like exploded but I would like to back up to this point because I think I'll, I'm going to throw you for a loop here because I'm going to say that I don't think that voting really does much, ultimately. And I'm not putting my stock into voting. And yeah, um, nominally, I will support Bernie because he's probably the best. Him or Elizabeth Warren are probably the most progressive of the candidates. And if I'm going to vote, I'll probably would vote for one of them before I would choose any of the other candidates. But even then, um, you know, voting isn't how you're going to get shit changed. Like if you want to get things changed, you got to be out in the streets. You got to be organized that way. That's how you get changes implemented. If you're waiting on if you're waiting and hoping on voting every four years for president or every two years for Congress, that's just that that's not a recipe for successful um, change in this country. And I think that plays out. If you look at history, you know, it's like it took Martin Luther King to walk, you know, to do his thing before civil rights really like what, you know, uh, we fought the civil war and, you know, we had reconstruction, but it took like another a hundred years before uh, things were changed. You know what I mean? So voting and shit. Yeah. Like it can help at the margins. And I'm not necessarily saying not to vote, but I'm saying don't put your stock in just voting. You got to be out in the streets. Like if you want change, you got to be out there. You got to be putting out your messages. You got to be on the streets. That's where change, real change can happen because the apparatus itself is against you. It's against change. It wants, everything is in support of the way things are right now because that benefits the people that are in power. And they're not going to relinquish it until you come up and say, hey, <laughs> take, I'm going to take. <laughs> right. Yeah. And, you know, um, I will say this, right? I don't feel like I'm in a position not to vote. You know, yeah. being a black queer man, I have to vote. Right. But, and which I totally, I mean, I'm, I'm on the, I'm, that's why I'm voting, right? Yeah. But, like, think about what I just said, right? I'm politically disconnected. Right. But when you think about my life right now, I'm more charged up in my activism that I've ever been my whole life and that's like listening to you say that it was like well, wow you know what I'm saying like when I really had to get to the ground 
to really focus on my messages that I want for change, yeah, I had to be politically removed, right? So nothing that I talk about or advocate for is anything around policy and yeah. and because it's you know for me it's the people it's really changing the mindset of the people to do better want to do better and learn how to do better in whatever advocacy you know yeah. and specifically for mine that's how I look at it the groundwork in in the people and again so I totally agree with you right I totally agree with you and it's like one of those things like does your vote matter and I would say yes right I think I'm innated to say yes because of the um the history of what it means for me to be able to vote right yeah and I get that it, it, even and it's so weird that I know that right and then we can still look at you know the stats that like you said only a certain amount of people are still voting when we know you know for me black people should not even not vote it shouldn't even be an option right even if it doesn't matter it should be a for everyone who lost their lives for everyone who fought and for everyone who did the groundwork that you're talking about, that should be, you know, a duty. And not a duty to make things change because we know that we're not there yet. We know that that ballot that I, that I choose, I mean, Trump was elected one way or the other, right? Like the total opposite of why I feel like I should vote showed me, you know, specifically. Yeah, I see what you're saying. You know, specifically, like, you know, you talk about what a vote don't matter. And, you know, again, I don't, I do and don't believe. It, it's tricky. Yeah. It's tricky because I'm radical in that way, right? But I get the history on why I should vote and I will never take that away from the people who did the work before me. As an advocate and an activist, I think I have to. Right. Regardless, you know, if someone asks me, do I think it really matter? And, I, I say yes because I want to mobilize people, right, to believe that it can matter. But like you said, it ain't just going, <laughs> you know, waiting on the election, right? Yeah, exactly. That is not, I mean, that might be 5% of the matter. Yeah. You know, the work, the change you're talking about. and um, But I give hope in that 5% because I know that so many people gave 100% for what that only 5% of matter that we have now in a vote. Yeah. Because I give it five, maybe ten. But the other 90% is out of our control. Like yeah. you said, it's already systematically set up to be what it is. And the stuff that happens at the top, like it was it was, it was, was decided that Trump was going to be president way before the election. Now, again, now I'm not saying that maybe in November, you know, that it was decided in January when he was elected. But somewhere it was like, okay, this is what's going to happen. And this is how it's going to play out. And I feel like elections is always a narrative for what was already set up to be played out in yeah. some way, in my opinion. And that's all, you know, that could be radical thinking. But we're not just knowing America is not being decided on election day night with, you know, Anderson Cooper and everybody on the little election board saying what state is going to who. It's, it's just that don't even make sense, even based on what you're saying, right? We're not, they're not going to allow votes to determine, you know, the future of the eliteness, you know, of the things that the powers to be. They make those deals way before election night or at least two weeks. It, it might be down to the wire of how it's being done, but it ain't been done based on the votes. The votes is going to, 
reflect the way the bidding war was going on. Like whoever yeah. had the most money, whoever had the most to lose, whoever had the most to gain. I feel like based on everything what you were just saying, really. But I believe in my 5%. <laughs> I mean, I don't think it's as simple as they sit in the back room and like decide who's going to be president because then I don't think Donald Trump would have gotten elected ever. So I don't think it's quite, I don't think it's that level. It's, it's a much more fundamental thing. And I would just say again, like for example, it's like if you want to run for president, you got to have at least, like you got to be pretty wealthy. Like you're going to be at minimum, like I said, in the top like, probably 10% of incomes in the country to be able to viably run for president. Cause how are you going to campaign if you got to go to work Monday through Friday? Right. Mm -hmm. So the system in that way is rigged against someone like, like a regular person like us going and running for president because we, we got to put food on the table. Right. So you have that level of systemic, you know, I guess barriers, right. But then again, you also have, look at the way that the electoral college functions in the country. Hillary Clinton got more votes than Trump, but still lost the election. That's how, that in itself, again, this is how America is structured in a, in a way that, like, you're right. It's like, it's against the popular, it's set up to disenfranchise, like, the will of the people. Mm -hmm. It's like, we have this funky ass system. That's a relic of these compromises we made around slavery, and it's all thrown out of whack based on like what it, it was designed to do in the first place. And now we have how many times has a Republican president gotten less votes over the past like 30 years and become president? We had George W. Bush in 2000, and then we had Hillary Clinton in 2016. Right, like that's a real interesting <laughs> phenomenon, isn't it? Isn't it? So yeah, more recent, exactly. So it's like it's placing a lot of you know. You have a lot of arguments on the left where people are talking about this is giving disproport like the electoral college gives disproportionate voting power to certain states that are those like Iowa. Yeah, it's, <laughs> well, I was I'm more so like the Ohio's and the places where. There's a lot of electoral votes that are up in flux between like, oh, which which way is it going to break? You know what I mean? It's like those little battleground states, they call them, right? So you have that element too. So I don't know. It, it's a complicated issue. It's more complicated. <laughs> you brought up some good points, I think, in terms of how like voting and that relationship. But I don't think it's like you're – I don't think it's like they're sitting there in the back room and be like, oh, we're going to have so-and-so. It's not quite that – out front but it's like these all these systemic things are gonna push like one of these rich people is gonna be president ultimately right right and, and that's what i meant right i don't think like okay that it's just five people okay maybe deciding, i was just... <laughs> right and, and i get what you said like because i did make it that simple but i really do think it's that simple to a certain degree like through the systematic things that's in place through the um agendas that needs to be carried out through the bones that they give you sometimes they would take a loss to, you know, um, for an agenda that they need in the future. Yeah. So, I mean, it's very clear. I don't think nothing is not planned in a way that is going to continuously keep the powers, you know, the people at the top on top. Like, they have to make certain sacrifices. They have to play 
Harbaugh. They have to get, you know, they have to shift the country. Like, that's all a part of it, right? Like, it, you can't always be safe when you're trying to, especially when you're getting more people more educated, people more, um, you know, liberties are becoming, you know, like people want better quality of life. People want different things. And so, like you were saying, the electoral college was something that they that happened a long time ago they put in place. But I definitely believe that it was always put in place for times like this, times where you have the people who can uprise and who might have the people will to, like you were saying, um, might overthrow the, what you know the status quo of the government or the, the direction that the country is going. But this is in place for a reason. You know, and it wasn't just for when it happened. I definitely feel like it was always set up for times like this, you know, to, you know, to allow a Trump. Like, I didn't think Trump could be in office. I didn't, you know, prior to, like, when he said, well, I'm like, you know. They've well, never... he ran in, like, what, 2012, I think, too? Yeah. Because that's when he came out with that birth certificate. Or was it? I can't remember. Was it 08 or twelve that he came out with? Remember the well, Obama birth certificate he, stuff? And he dropped out like early, he didn't, wasn't even like early. He dropped off early on, but it, you know, I, I feel like Trump is a sacrifice that the top took. They 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 didn't. Everybody didn't want, it. and you could even see it like when people talk about it within the party, or you know, when you hear other people on TV talking about it. I feel like. Hmm, they didn't necessarily want it, some people, but they feel like it was for the bigger cause. And oh, it, yeah. And that's what it was. For them, it's going to benefit them in the long run, no matter. Now, they don't agree with the person, but he had the money or he had the strings and the connection for it to, for he put himself in that position. And what, however that was. And then, I mean, he got the people. He got enough people in this country to believe in it. And so... Republican Party, he had the power in a certain, you know, in a certain degree. So I feel like the elite definitely um, went along with it. Oh, yeah. Well, they, I mean, here's the thing is that, like, I think what is interesting about Trump in particular is that he really displays how, how very, kind of like maybe the, like, the idea of the presidency is kind of like fake itself or kind of bullshit right because the system kind of moves on and like trump kind of ran on all this rhetoric about like blah 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 but he really hasn't done too much that's crazy um you know i mean yeah the muslim the country ban and like all the whack shit that's going on right but in terms of like what's the biggest like huge legislation that he's got through he got the tax cut through for the wealthy but aside from that, at least like we're not invading Iraq or something like that. Um, and so he's just kind of like he's just kind of fuddling around. But the system like is running bust anyways, like without a without a hitch. Right. Mm-hmm. Even though he ha- is just kind of like unpredictable in this like wild card in the system. It's such a huge like machinery of government within like the Department of Defense and like at the local level, at the governorships and et cetera, and like all the power structures that already exist, like it's more than just one man can come in through and just kind of run the show. Well, I think they use him. Well, I totally agree. Right. But I think they're using him 
for the people. That's his role. His role is to get, like we were saying, like the racism, the the um, prejudice, and all of those things. Like it influenced the local elections to a certain degree, right? Because he's the leader. And he's using, he's getting to the people. And I, I think that's a big difference than we've seen from presidents where the way he used Twitter, the way he um, speaks, you know, he he makes himself so approachable, like like not approachable, like you can just go up to Trump, but he he makes himself like a regular person. Like yeah. you, he's president, but you, the way he talks, he doesn't talk <laughs> like he's president. And so what I hear, you know, and I talk to Trump supporters and stuff like that, and he, they really feel like they have someone that they can identify with. Which is so crazy to me, because it's like, <laughs> this guy is a billionaire, like, he right. had all this shit handed to him, like, it's so crazy. But he touches on what they, because they're oppressed, right? And we're not talking, and he, the people that he's reaching is the oppressed, prejudiced people, the people that does not have the money. And yeah. so it's that same system that we're talking about, right? Like, you're 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 talking about the it's the working class that's being cultivated, you know that's that's like resurrected, you know, and all these things. And again, I do feel like we are in a place in this country that we can counter that, right? You know, there's enough people who, you know, on a local level that like okay, we're not going to have that. You know, yeah. the Texas election, you know, went more blue, right? You know, than previous years. You know, we got other places that's that we've seen in. Um, the, the the midterm that showed that it it's a it wasn't what they said not a blue wave but it was enough response that okay we're not going to have that but I feel like that just made us more polar like the, the tension is so high I mean I see it in um you know I'm a city commissioner you know and I see different um like it get uncomfortable when even amongst you know a queer body of people to talk about injustices and racism and we're we're, we all minorities to a sense of we're all queer individuals you know whether it's trans whether it's you know um gay whether it's intersect all these different things but then when it comes up about really you know intersectionality and when it comes up about you know um race you know and all those different things that come up it gets very uncomfortable because i feel like it's an uncomfortable position. It's polar, right? Even amongst queer people. Yeah. You know, I'm the only black person I sit on this commission. Mm-hmm. Well, I guess the person I identify as all black, I think it is like someone who might be multiracial. Okay. Uh, definitely only black man, right? So I take that. <laughs> and um, and I and I feel like I have a purpose in that. Like, I, you know, I, and it's a lot of pressure that I'm not saying that I want. Right. Yeah. Because <laughs> right. You got to speak for like all black, all black men. right? Yeah. You know, and you know, and I don't, it's interesting because yeah. I feel like it is something that they, they are um, shying away from. Yeah. It is something that they don't want to talk about. And I'm just like, wow. You know, <laughs> you would think in, a, in this setting, you know, yeah. a progressive, the first LGBTQ quality of life board in Austin, historical thing with this big old thing, right? Then you get in this room and you, I still feel like the black person. Yeah. Interesting. And then, you know, or, and I feel like I could be fit next to someone who maybe, maybe not support Trump, but maybe not necessarily support what I, you know, this whole intersection I did at all because they still have those privileges that, yeah that they stand by and will probably want, you know, someone said it, we were talking about equity, you know? And so 
equity in in Austin is defined like dealing with race and stuff like that, right? And I'm just not going to go all into it. <laughs> but one of the things that we're doing in the commission is that we want Austin to identify equity with as something for the LGBTQ people. Like we need the studies and we need the people to be able to select the boxes because if we don't have information about queer people in Austin, we can't really know what we should be doing right because they don't identify it's nowhere is no information about queer people in austin nothing no surveys any city of austin documentation does not take gender um um, or sexual preferences or whatever none of that information is gathered yeah and so this whole new equity thing is changing and all that but equity is not equity is not defined (laughs) from the city of austin from a queer perspective yeah so a few people want that, right? And I'm like, yeah, I want that. But I I can get a sense that they like we almost. I I felt like someone said, I'm tired of this race conversation. Oh God. <laughs> and, and again, and they didn't say it with those words, but it felt it was with that energy. Yeah, I got gotcha. you. And so so to make a long story short about that. It's like Trump and what's going on with this election and where we at right now. We are we're not at a race war. Because I don't feel like we should be, but I feel like it's it's either unspoken or it's really loud. Yeah, <laughs> and that's what makes it complicated, right? Because it's like I rather for it to be, and I I rather for it to be just all on the table. Like I rather <laughs> know if someone has this homophobic, yeah. racist, and transphobic. I, I rather know true than not know. Right. You know, I mean that's a good point. Um, I will back up though because I want to. Okay. I think and. I don't have that in front of me, but I think if you looked, because you were mentioning maybe like, okay, Trump is playing to this populist resentment about kind of like maybe like PC culture and like intersectionality and things like that. But and I think that has some impact. But I think if you look at the numbers, it's like those people at the bottom are already so disenfranchised by capital that they don't even like matter. It doesn't even like they don't vote anyways. Like they don't have already given up. Like they're just trying to live, right? I think if you look at the numbers, you'd be surprised to see that a lot of like middle class and kind of people like that are the ones that are voted largely Trump. And it's so I guess I'll have to throw find some articles to send you because I don't think it's you might think that right. And I kind of you know it's easy to kind of see that because he definitely did tap into that energy for sure. Mm-hmm. But I don't necessarily think that that is all a working class um, necessarily. Or I think middle class. M- maybe there's middle class people, a lot of middle class people voted for Trump. Mm-hmm. Like, definitely. Um, so that's, that's a point of interest. And then just to transition to, you're mentioning the tensions there with even among the queer community. Again, that's where like class interest comes into play too, because, you know, it's like you got a lot of like, well, like bourgeois white queer people that would maybe vote, you know what I mean? You have those people definitely vote Trump. You, they're out there. They they exist, right? Because it's in their class interest to do so. And so that to me is why it's so important to marry like this class analysis with this more like this intersectionality approach. And I don't know how to do that. Like there's there's got to be a way to integrate those two approaches and yeah. figure out like, you know what I mean? I, I don't know, right? I mean, I get what you're saying. I don't, I don't know because it's, it's, it's so much history in it. It's so much. The class thing is like based on like we've had families where you're born. Yeah. 
you know, your lineage and, you know, the job you get, you know, what college you go to. I mean, it's just so many factors right. into what would make, you know, where you would be as a 25 to 34 year old person, you know, and I don't know. It's, it's not always that easy to identify like those things. Like how can you prevent you know, someone, you know, and not prevent, but how do you stop the phobias and the, the racism if it's already innate in them from birth or not necessarily birth because we always can change. Right. But right? it's like culture is, it, yeah, it's like, like the material, we call it material conditions on the left reproduce these sorts of viewpoints or whatever. Yeah. And then most, and some people can go against it, right? It's not something you have to stay. I'm yeah. not saying if you were, you know, you was born in this way or that or those thoughts or your parents that you have to, especially now, like with so much information, like information is by the second, like we were just saying. So it's no way that you have to rely on what you were taught. Like that's, you know, it's, it's too much information out here for that. Yeah. You know, you, you have to know more than your parents did. You know, it's, it's no yeah. way, <laughs> you know, but I don't know. I it, it mean, it's, it's very interesting when we were just talking about class and um, the intersectionality of all that because at the end of the day, how do you, it, it makes things complicated. For sure. We could, you could be a, a Mexican queer doctor, you know, or, you know, wh- where would you fit? You know, are you going to be economically um Voting for you know to keep you know keep your six figures and less taxes, or you're going to vote because of the wall, or you're going to vote because of the ban or different things. You know, where yeah. do you stand? And I think that's per- that's I'm so glad you said that because that was going to be like my next. What I was going to come back with is it's like for people like myself that are on the left, it's not about yes, it is. It would be great if we had like if Kamala Harris was president, right? A woman POC, that's fucking awesome. That is the true promise of America. But also, like, it doesn't do us a lot of good if Kamala Harris gets elected president and continues the same policies, you know what I mean? And she's just this signifier, like, she just represents this idea. But at the ground level, if we're not fighting for, like, more equity throughout society economically and socially then what good does it do, right? Like, yes, it's great to have, like, yeah, if we had, like, a queer president, trans president, whatever, under the sun, yes, it's good, but it's not going to do us any good if the trans president is dropping bombs in Yemen, <laughs> and you know what I mean? Because their interests could be different, right? Exactly, yeah, their, <laughs> their material interests could be different, exactly. You Now you're getting it, see? Yeah, so it's not, <laughs> yeah, I totally agree. Because, you know, even um, that person, that um, black queer woman and and again i don't have any information on her right yeah she just won mayorship right yeah yes but i've seen so many bad headlines about her and i'm just like oh my god and again i didn't you know lately before this conversation i've separated myself from politics i mean hey it'll drive you fucking crazy (laughs) it will (laughs) it will and then um so on one hand you know i'm looking at like oh my god it's a black you know lesbian mayor then it's like She's the worst person. She made all these back deals and she <laughs> right? worked with developers and all the races. Uh, she's just a face of all the the powers that are oppressing the people. She's the whole time been a part of it, like a yeah. pawn. 
And this is just what I mean. Or I mean, that'd be like, I mean, that's kind of that's kind of like the same shit with Kamala too. Like she's got that baggage of that like, penal system, right? Because like, how can I support you? And I know that you put all these right. black bodies in a system that we know is designed to keep black communities down. So you fought exactly. But again, she, I mean, but that is her job. That was her job. So it's just like, but again, you could do your job differently, right? We don't have to. You, she could have been a person to change. Yeah, you know, right. Well, she was the DA, right? Yeah. So, and again, I mean, she is working for, you know, the the state, right? The city or whatever. But um, I don't know. Like, she, she has a bad record of putting her own people in in the prison system. And so, it's like, well, I don't know. You know, because, again, like you said, if she gets in presidency, she might really, because if she really stands by her record, which, you, you know, we can only judge you on what you've done. Yeah. Then we ain't going. We're definitely getting rid of you know prison the pipeline reform, and we're definitely not getting you know um, penal um, reformations and stuff like that. It's, it's going to continue to be the way it is based on what she did as a DA, right? Yeah. And so like, okay, she's president, so I don't know. Like I said, like you said, like you can put a person of color or all these intersectionalities in position of power. But most times, unfortunately, it's like it's an agenda. Yeah. For them to get to the top, right? True. It's, it's like you gotta bend like the institutions themselves. Like there's there's mechanisms within the institutions that shape you and like force you. And you can kind of see this happening a little bit with uh, AOC and how she's behaved, like Alejandro oh, yeah. Ocasio Cortez. Like you can kind of see, like the the there's so much pressure within these institutions, whether it be like any fucking institution, like Congress, um, you know, the DA office, right? Like there's a pressure to, with internally to act a certain way, or like they always want to, like it's always institutions are always going to be conservative mm-hmm. because they want to reproduce things as they exist now. Mm-hmm. So you got to be a real, like, it takes a unique individual or, you know, maybe you, you can't. Like, someone someone who really had an aggressive, um, progressive record may not even get into that position, like, without yeah. without compromising. I mean, look at look at Obama as a prime example of this scenario, right? Like, he, sh- he was swept in, like, there was all this optimism and, you know, everyone was hopeful and it was changing. Like, it felt like maybe like there was a new day in America, Mm -hmm. but then like he basically just kept on, he didn't really do much Mm -hmm. to help out or change the status quo. Like we still did all the, like Syria, um, Yemen, like he talked about closing down Guantanamo Bay, Guantanamo Bay didn't get closed. Like Obamacare was like the only thing that they got through. And even then, like at the state level, the states like Texas, for example, block that additional Medicare money or Medicaid money that they could have had. Mm-hmm. And so it's like, there's only so much you can do even as an individual, if you are well-meaning because these institutional constraints on you. But then again, also like you, you wind up, you know, you got to have, there's got to be more than one person. Like it's got to be a bottom up expecting things to change from the top down. Isn't going to work. Right. That's never worked for things to come at the top. It's like you, every, every time great change has, has come through. 
it's come from the bottom of society. You can't have someone at the top just directing things because that's just not, the system is against that. Yeah. So I wonder, do you think that it should be like maybe a white man in presidency that has the views? Do you think it would be more effective for change if it's a white man that had the views that you're, that even with you and and being an anarchist and everything, do you feel like it would be more effective in getting it then? Because you were saying Kamala, you know, you were saying that she represent what we would need in the country, but what does that look like to you? Yeah, um, you know, do, would she be able to really get the change done, or would she? It'd be so much more about her being a black woman than actually being able to get the things. The, the change that you're talking about, you know, or would a white man typically, you know, as a leader in this country, be able to actually get, the, you know, are we as progressive as we think we are, is yeah. what I mean, for the actual change? I mean, I think, again, going, to, I think Obama really exemplified <laughs> this. The answer to this is look at the out, look at what happened when Obama, like, who was a pretty central or centrist figure, right? Ultimately, like in terms of at least how he governed, Mm -hmm. he wasn't radical. Like, remember there was like, oh, Obama's a socialist and all this shit. And like people were flipping out in the tea party and like, oh, like, you know, he's a secret Muslim and like all this shit, right? Mm -hmm. Like they just came out of the woodworks. So yes, to a degree, like, yes, it's less threatening to to the establishment for a white man to be like, they could probably get away with a little bit more in terms of being radical than than Kamala or somebody like that or Obama, right? Because mm-hmm. just like they're, I mean, you saw it, like, mm-hmm. right? Like it was fucking nuts. It's crazy, but that's how you know that the right is full of shit because they tried to sell us that Obama was a socialist and he just kept basically the same old policies that we've been on the track mm-hmm. with like Clinton and Bush, you know? But yes, it's always like easier to sell things from... Like, people are less critical of, like, Clinton, for example. Like, Clinton did a lot of fucked up shit, but because he was a Democrat, he get, he kind of escapes a lot of it. Mm-hmm. Because, for example, he did a lot of fucked up shit in terms of, like, the 1994 crime bill, the omnibus crime bill, that Joe Biden was all, like, ooh, he was on uh, that. You got to watch strikes, videos. Three strikes you out. Uh, I don't know the specifics of, but it was, like, pretty, you know, a lot of a lot of bad legislation and policy-wise in terms of the carceral state and what have you. And you can go back and look at Joe Biden being pretty right-wing in his talking points about crime and all of that. So you have Clinton doing that. You have Clinton uh, with welfare reform. You have Clinton deregulating the banks. You have Clinton deregulating telecommunications, but all under the guise of, oh, I'm a Democrat. Like, it's this... It's don't again, ask, it's like this, oh. it's this identity to some degree of like, I'm representing, oh, it's now like if a Republican candidate or president tried to push these same policies, you know, P- Democrats would be like, oh, you know what I mean? But since it's coming from a Democrat there, it's easier to sell it. So yes, I think you're absolutely right in that it would be, you know, a white man is probably going to be able to get a, have a little bit more leeway in the culture to get away with shit because there's just not that like that weird like identity tribalistic type 
mm-hmm. vibe there or like antagonism that's present. Right. And I, that's why I think about Bernie Sanders, but I just, in my opinion, I think he's too old. And that's so bad, right? <laughs> but you're, but you're, that's, a, that's ageism. That Come is ageism. But um, I don't know. I mean, it is unfortunate. I, th- I definitely think that's something to think about when you yeah. think about um, where we are as a country. Like, you have to look at it, and, and that is ageism. But I think that's the only thing where I stand with it. Like, <laughs> you know, otherwise, like, why not Bernie, right? And I wonder why not Bernie in general. I feel yeah. like it's a sense of no to Bernie, even though everybody loves Bernie. But, you know... Like you said, I would I could see Camila getting it before Bernie, and but why though? Yeah, and you've been a, a advocate for Bernie. Why do you feel? Like, I mean, why whoa, do you feel like he gets whoa, so whoa. much? I'm not I'm not necessarily an advocate for Bernie. Well, you say you would vote for Bernie him. is problematic in his own right. Like everyone that is running for president is problematic <laughs> because they're all not going to overthrow capitalism <laughs> and the state and establish the glorious People's Republic. Of, of autonomy, of like the confederate, not the confederation, but the, like a federal, uh, what is it? Ah, fuck. There's like democratic confederalism or whatever is mm-hmm. kind of like the anarchist model for government. Um, <laughs> got kind of a bad, was like talking about confederacy, you're like, what? So he's like, oh shit. We took that flag down <laughs> in South Carolina. <laughs> but uh, yeah, like, so... Anybody that's going to run for president is going to have problematic issues when it comes to, in my opinion, because I'm like a far left, like, let's not only overthrow capitalism, let's overthrow this oppressive state. So, but I mean, as far as if if I'm having to make a choice, like I will go with Bernie because he's the most progressive candidate available. So why do you think he gets so much like? What is the Oh, biggest? he's a threat. He's a threat. Him and you can see him and Elizabeth Warren, they are a threat to like Wall Street and the real power brokers don't want either one of them. That's why like this all plays too. We'll go circle back to my man Howard Schultz that is running and saying he's threatening. He's saying, "Oh, I'm I will if the Democrats don't nominate someone who is not a moderate, I will run for president as an independent as this centrist candidate so he can siphon off votes." from like basically this mythical like centrist mm-hmm. section of America. Mm. So you can definitely um I mean there's an article that I read basically there was it was kind of an anonymous Wall Street person and they're like anybody but Warren or Bernie because those are the biggest threats to the established order in terms of in terms of capital, right? Everyone else is pretty much like whatever they're not going to do a lot differently mm-hmm. and even bernie like let's say here's the thing though too like even if bernie gets elected which would be you know i, I would be glad if that would happen but there's so much at this like yeah if we want to do medicare for all like just wait just wait if medicare for all was up and was going to be presented and it even passed congress the fucking crazy states like texas would be suing the federal government the Supreme Court would wind up having to make a judgment on it, and guess what? Now we have a supreme major or a majority in the Supreme Court of conservatives. So guess what? Yeah, no Medicare for all, even though that's the democratic will of the people. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you're right. I don't know. 
the politics, you know, this political climate is is where. So I'll be interested to see who win, or just not win. That's so far away. I'm <laughs> interested to see who would become because we ain't said nothing about Beto. Oh gosh. And, oh my God. But I mean, I mean, who knows? I feel like he has a good chance in the long stretch. You know, to like once he get people get over the whole his last run and yeah. get it to him as a presidential nominee. I feel like the same love or the same, you know, energy that people have for him in Texas can go national. I feel yeah. like we're still looking at him. I mean, you know, that election just happened. And so I feel like people still looking at him in that way. Yeah. But I feel like once the money starts flowing and the ass start going and that's stuff <laughs> for him on a national level, I feel like he'll be a real threat. For the Democratic Party. It's just too many people. Like, I, I'm done. I'm done. I'm not voting. I'm just playing. <laughs> it's just too many. I mean. And it's early, but it ain't that early. We're April. It ain't like 2018, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I guess what we got. We got another over a year and mm-hmm. a half, roughly. Something yeah. like that. Yeah. Um, but Beto is a pretty right-wing Democrat, he's like he's pretty much centri- centrist, and his campaign and his rhetoric is very much like Obama. Like it's a lot of like high-minded, like oh we're gonna unite and blah blah blah. But there's not a lot of substance to what he's offering, <laughs> mm-hmm. and there's not a lot of meaningful change to what he says. And uh, again, like I don't know. I feel like the Democrats, like it'd be. I mean. I could see him maybe getting it, but I don't know. It's going to be hard. I think like Kamala Harris, Joe Biden, um, those two, and maybe Bet, maybe Beto. I don't know. Those are yeah. You're probably right. Those are probably like who I would lean towards more than likely getting the nomination. Somebody like that because they're less of a threat than, than Bernie or Elizabeth Warren. But I don't know. It's like, do we really want to run the guy that couldn't beat Ted Cruz? You know, it's like, if you can't beat Ted Cruz, how the fuck are you going to beat Trump? Like, Trump is a wild card. He will, like, could you imagine, what do you, how do you counter insanity? Right. You You know what I mean? How do you counter and counter irrationality rationally? You just can't. And that's, I don't know, how, how do you combat that? And I don't know who's up to the task of doing it. Is anybody like among the Democratic field? Maybe Bernie is best equipped because he at least has the like, I don't know. He's the one that is more likely to just like his message is just so on with like Medicare for all and all these things that, you know, people are really supportive of. And he has a little bit of that populist appeal as well. He might be the best equipped to take on Trump because I can't imagine like I don't know it's gonna be wild like you said it's gonna be real interesting <laughs> to see what happens I agree I think yeah Bernie would be the one that can actually clap back and um <laughs> you know counter that insanity through yeah. social media through you know debates I feel like everybody else is so polished and I don't think you can be so polished with um yeah you gotta Trump. take the gloves off yeah bit. you gotta take the gloves off so I don't know. Beto is the most polished, so that is very interesting to think of him um, debating against Trump online or otherwise. (laughs) Right. 
you know, I don't really know Camila. I don't know how ruthless she can get. But whoever it is, they have to be ruthless. They have to be able to say whatever. Like, it's not going to be clean. I mean, Trump is not that. Like, with the way he talked, you have to be able to talk. It's, it's, it's a battleground. It's a real battle. So I'm interested to see who's really going to duke it out. Like I said, Madison Square Garden, <laughs> right. Staples Center, I said the <laughs> ring. It needs to be, they need to just take it up a notch because it's going to, it should be that interesting, you know, but we'll see. But I mean, like I said, again, the, the work that I like, the work that you're doing at the grassroots level is where it's at. Like that, that's where you should focus your energy and maybe not (laughs) worry so much about like the bigger political structure because that shit is such a mess. It's like. We got to build somehow, and not only, and we didn't, you mentioned earlier too about like mental health, and I think that's something that gets, we kind of didn't really talk about too much about how capitalism is creating all this like mental health issues too, you Mm -hmm. know, and building like, it's like the, the impetus is to be siloed off right it's like you go home after work you don't talk to nobody you don't you're in the elevator going up to your floor at your apartment complex do you talk to people you know mm-hmm. uh most people aren't you know it's like they're they got their earbuds in or whatever it's like capitalism is like destroying human community and connection and that's why we're having all these mental health issues and like this opioid crisis and all of this because people are like so stressed out by the culture at large and the society and like community has been destroyed in a large part. Right. So the kind of work that you're doing is incredibly important. Yeah. I mean, and we just need to radicalize you and get you to embrace the uh, anarcho anarcho communist uh, line. You know, I mean, and the colors are red and black. (laughs) It's real. It's real fashionable. I mean, it's interesting, right? I think you just hit it right on the nose. Like, our society, culture, um, everything has eliminated the idea of community. It's almost like you're out here to defend yourself, like, solo. Yeah, it's like, I got to stab you so you don't stab me. Right. (laughs) It's like a doggy-dog world right now. Community is gone. And um, I really try to focus on getting, not necessarily community, well, yeah, community together, but it's idea to talk about these things, about these things that um, these things that's not spoken, these unspoken things that have communities at large going through social depression, and that's a word with me and um, a phrase rather that me and another mental health advocate came up with, and it's basically just focusing on, you know, I always say you can't talk about social injustices separate from mental health. You know, we always get, you know, being a black person, you know, I hear it all the time. Well, why they can't do better? You know, why black people always got to be in jail? Why black people always got to be fighting and killing each other? And what's going on in Chicago? What's going on, you know, Nipsey Hussle, you know, uh, procession and somebody got shot. Well, black Did that really do- happen? Mm-hmm. Jesus. <laughs> you know, black people need to do better or Latino people, you know, all these different things that we always hear. Or gay people, they need to do better, like. And what I try to do through, like, this idea of social depression is to, like, really start talking about the things that historically has taken place to these these communities of people and what is going on right now. You know, like, 
if you are, um, I said all the time, if you are a black woman, queer woman in America right now, today, you might wake up, right? And the first thing you might see, um, I don't know, Trump might tweet, you know, something on CNN. Well, like, shit, look what he did with the Ilan Omar tweet about, like, 9-11 the other day. I mean, that was pretty it was fucked a, up. A, and and you know tr- what's crazy, too, is they ended up, I think uh, Twitter ended up pulling the tweet down because he had used, like, the or the video that he posted had, like, the Dark Knight soundtrack in it. So Warner Brothers was like, yo, this is a copyright infringement, and they made him basically pull it. That's why they got pulled down, which is kind of funny. But anyways. It is reality, right? It is where we are right now. You wake up, like, I know when I wake up, um, I have alerts from CNN and MSNBC. Yeah. And most of it, when the first thing I get is the recap of Trump tweets. (laughs) <laughs> so if you're a woman, person of color, you know, lesbian, the first thing you might see is some kind of racist thing or something that he's attacking of, of somebody, you know, on that might identify, that you might identify with. The second thing, you know, go through your day, you're going to get some gas and you're at the gas station and you're a woman and the guy's whistling at you, right? So you've already had an issue with racism, for say. Then now you're dealing with issues of sexism, but you're a lesbian, so that's not something that you want, but it is what it is. Throughout the day, you go to work, you're doing your thing and stuff like that, and you know, you might turn on the TV and the news. So we're we on social media, we're in real life, now we're on the news. Something about, I don't know, they're not, you can't be openly gay in the military. I don't know, whatever could you might see that might um, attack you in your queer identity. So throughout the day, so you go home, right, and, you, you know, you went through a stressful day like normal people do at work, right? But your day is a little bit different because you already has been, you know, you've already been shown you were black. You've already, and that's something, right? It ain't, we know you're, you are black, but you've been told in some way about your blackness. You've been told something about what it is to be a woman. You've been told something what it is to be queer, all negatively, and you just live in a normal life that we all do. Yeah, which is stressful enough. As I mean, as a cis white guy, like right. it's bad enough just going to work is fucking. For me, as the most privileged of all, is I mean, I'm barely holding it together. To be honest, I'm serious. I'm like, I'm stressed the fuck out. Right, <laughs> and that's and that happens to us, right? And so that's the trauma, and the triggers, and all those things, and we're just told to just deal with it. Like yeah. you don't talk about it, like right. unless you're doing the work that like me who's constantly you know talking about what it is to be black and queer and mental health if you just live in that life you're not really ever talking about it you're just taking it in day in day out day in day out you're having children that affects them because you're you know those things affect your mobilization it affects you wanting to do more wanting to do better like when you have to go through all those things in normal life and so that's why i really try to create community around the idea of talking about social depression. Most of the time, you don't even know you're going through social depression, right? Because we like to separate, you know, um, social injustices from mental health, but it's impossible. Yeah. Like, if we see the news and there's another black boy shot down, again, it could be whatever reasons, right? But that's a trigger to someone who might have lost their cousin to gang violence in a neighborhood that they can't afford to get out. Yeah. But then we're asking, well, why are they killing each other? Well, 
they don't know, you know what I'm saying? They they know, but they don't know. It's, it's assumed that they know or assumed yeah. that they have the mobilization to do better. But if that's all you've been taught and and you can't get out and your mental capacity is, is clouded and you don't really have any mental freedom or any tools to deal with trauma and triggers and stuff like that. You know, we, we see it on TV all the time. People, you know, joke, I go to therapists all the time. You know, my therapist, I talk to my... These communities are not having therapists. They're yeah. not talking about that. We look at this stuff as entertainment, or we look at it like, "Oh my God, what's going on in Chicago?" Think about the people who's actually living there, right? And then you ask it, "Well, why are they killing each other?" You know, one death starts the the cycle of trauma, and if no one's there to mobilize the people to know, "Hey, we need to talk about this. We need to create tools to." process these things and, and be open about the real issues. We, we kind of, like, everybody talking about mental health, right, right now, but it's so fake. I'd be the first one to say it's fake. It's fake. It's fake. This whole mental health wave is all fake <laughs> because it's not really talking about what's, what is going on, the real person. You know, you know we, we say go see a therapist, you know what I'm saying? But if you go to a therapist and they don't look like you, or you go to a therapist that you can identify with, or if you don't have insurance, yeah. you go to I mean, a that's the biggest, probably. Right. <laughs> Even Insur- if you like just getting to see somebody who's not your, right. you can relate to. is. And they don't talk about that. Yeah. You know, the access to, you know, what that looks like. And then maybe some people don't want therapy. So what is the idea of mental wellness? You know, it's bigger than, mental health is bigger than just going to see a therapist because, Again, if you're living everyday life, you need to have tools to be able to combat what you're going through in life. And so so it kind of hit the, what you said earlier about this whole idea of community. And that's what I really try to do to get people to start get coming together and really approaching mental health differently than what we've been fed. I feel like we've been fed this, this propaganda of mental yeah. health. Oh, for sure. I mean, <laughs> in, in the sense, too, that like from a leftist critique of it it's well it's not the it's not the system's fault that you are experiencing this issue <laughs> it is it is your fault and it is on you to resolve your mental health issues right <laughs> so it's like the system is putting you in this position to that creates these issues and then it's blaming you and telling you that you're entirely responsible for them Mm-hmm. And then on top of that, oh, well, the pharmaceutical company says, oh, well, yeah, or the insurance company says, oh, well, we here take this pill um, because we don't want to pay for you to actually go talk to a therapist, period, in the first place or have access to a therapist. And then you're on this fucking pill that is, you know what I mean? So maybe the, maybe it helps. Maybe it doesn't. Maybe there's side effects. You know what I mean? Like, who knows? Like, is it going to do you any good? Whereas, I don't know, like, we need robust communities, community support. And, like, human beings are social creatures and animals. Like, we need human touch and we need human connection. And all of that is kind of, like, being so destroyed by our current, like, predicament in terms of where we are socially and economically. It's just a really stressful time to be alive. It's, it, like, it's, it's very stressful. We desensitize to all of this. We, like, take it in day in and day out. It is so, like, we talk about social media, right? It had to be, it's not logically 
it doesn't logically make any sense that there hasn't been any kind of uh, reaction to social media on a social level or a systematic level or a government level or any kind of way. Like, we're talking about now people ha can be exposed to everything, everything, every bad thing that can happen. You think about pre, you know, social yeah. media, you only were exposed to what was on your block and your neighborhood and your family. And most time as children, you you were protected as, as best from those exposures. So, but now, you know, as a, you know, whatever you've seen on TV, and that's regulated, you know, federally, right? Now on the internet, it's nothing really regulated about what can come across your news feed or what can be a child can be exposed to or how much, you know, because news and media is, is, you know, as much as they say they report the news in certain ways, most times it's not, I mean, it's a level of what they can say and how much devastation they can put on, right. you know, the American people per day. What's going to get the attention is not something like it just naturally like people are attracted, like whatever is contentious or controversial or violent or extreme is going to draw more attention than something that is not. And it's going to be sometimes just put in your timeline that you didn't ask for, right? And, and, and so when you really think about it, it's been no reaction to social media and what that looks like on the, the mental capacity of people that now you're exposed to all these things and all these triggers and traumas. And it's nothing out there that's talking about that. Like, yeah. well, how do we combat the exposure of social media? I mean, we are talking about identity or identity. Okay, so we know if your identity is at risk. What about your mental capacity? You know, you know. Think about the images and the things that they are trying to get you to see and, and 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 you know immobilize you. You know, and it's not like a theory. It's it's obvious. It's it's right there. You know, and it's the concept of social media is now the way we communicate, but there's nothing in place to. There's no values there. You know, community has been what hundreds and thousands of years in place. You talk about social media. There's nothing to ensure that we're we're reacting to social media. Um, you know, societal wise, like the information that we're getting is like no oversight, no oversight, saying, no right? processing, no no anything. We just accept it. Like you literally get on social media, and it is what it is. It's nothing. The only thing I see that's really starting to become things is this identity thing. That's the only thing that I, they're really putting on you. Like, you can't, they can't have your information. You know, Facebook is sharing. You know, so we, we see that. I see that being regulated now. And, um, and again, I don't think social media, social media should be regulated because, you know, I believe that we should see this stuff. But what do we have in place for the exposure, you know, mentally? You know, we're seeing kids, you know, going live, hanging themselves. Or we now see that the bullying for children or the way the people, like, people get attacked on social media. I can post something. I can post anything. And if it's not, you know, <laughs> you know, a, a favorable response, they will attack me. I, and sometimes I go on Twitter just to do it, <laughs> just to see how Trolling. people react. Yeah, because people just go crazy. Like I went on one of these things. Of, it's just it's so <laughs> funny because, like you said, there's no filter. They will call you every scum of the earth to the twentieth power with no repercussions. And again, there's nothing 
in place for us or any tools out there for us to process exposure to hate, negativity, triggers, traumas on social media. It's nothing. We just deal with it. Yeah. I mean, a lot of that stuff, too, is served up by the algorithms that they have and that determines what even gets in front of you. Do you follow? Uh, I, I don't know if you. Fo- I know you follow my podcast feed, but I wonder mm-hmm. if you follow. Do you follow my personal shit posting account? I, I don't think I, think I have to look. I think I follow you on mine, but I, I was just kind of curious because I've been on a posting spree of just like <laughs> all kinds of absurd bullshit. <laughs> I mean, and it gets fun sometimes, right? You know, it's there, but I just think that when you talk about mental health and we talk about the climate we are in right now. If, if key things, if they really cared about mental health, one would be social injustices and the other would be social media because those are the key to, we're, we're living everyday life. That hasn't changed, but those things are changed. We're heightened right now, right? Yeah. Like, you know, it's a lot going on right now. And, you know, there's, you know, nothing in place. So, and like you said, community is gone. So you think about like civil rights movements in the '60s and the '70s and stuff. You had families; they were, you know, you know, sitting around the TV and watching it, or they were marching, or they, they, you know, the cousins and the grandmas. That it was, you know, whether white or black, right? It was a family reaction in most cases. Yeah. Now it's just it's very individualized. Yeah, it's like grandma's in a nursing home because <laughs> yeah. no, you can't afford like people have to be at work. You can't take care of them. Yeah. So it's just a difference. So I just feel like we can be more intentional about mental health. Oh, definitely. Mm-hmm. I mean, <laughs> I'm definitely one that internalizes a lot of that stuff and like kind of beats myself up about feeling anxious or stressed or what have you and kind of like takes it on. And there's a lot of like stigma too about like even just bringing it up or like admitting like I'm stressed out or I'm anxious because it's like, for me too, at my level, it's like I don't want to burden my friends with like negativity too. You know what I mean? So it's like there's that like as well, mm-hmm. that kind of like fear to be open about what you're experiencing from even your family, your friends, or people that like do care about you. Mm-hmm. So like within, and that's even just like I think outside. Maybe that does like a certain element of like the capitalist ideal of you being this like rugged individualist like character of America like oh you just you just pull up your bootstraps and just work through it and you just work hard and blah 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 and it'll be okay right it'll be okay <laughs> you can get through it like not really just talking about like we always I always say like when you ask somebody how they doing really wait for a real answer right yeah you know cuz anxiety is real like you know and i'm kind of like with you i've just just now started being able to um be more comfortable because I know I had to for one because of the work I do and two is is more is is power in you know owning up to what you're really going through right because anxiety is 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 real it's it's serious you know and and sometimes you don't even know like you have to really just sit there and like oh wait you know I'm going through something right now right so it's all those things I, I admitted for the first time that I had real bad anxiety the um I have a mental wellness meetup at uh-huh. the um, Carver every first Saturday, and I was very transparent. You know, like I have a lot going on, right? And I have a, a lot of pressure to make sure that I keep moving forward and keep, you know, trying to succeed in everything I want to do. And sometimes it's just too much. It's like, oh my God, I just want to go somewhere and be by myself, and you know, 
and not think about priorities or things that I have to accomplish or, you know, the pressure of, you know, just, you know, for any community organizer, you know, self-care is so important because you just keep going, you keep going, you keep going, but not realizing what is just too much, you know, um, and that's anxiety. And how do you work through it? But I feel like the first step is really recognizing you have it. And that's where you can like, okay, well, now what can I do to create some tools? What, you know, not go to a pill mill. <laughs> right. You know, a clinic that's going to just, you just want your insurance. And if you got Medicaid, or they're going to get you in and they're going to get you some pills so they can do that Medicaid claim <laughs> and get that reimbursement in 90 days, right? So, you know, it's not about medicating yourself always. But um, definitely recognizing when anxiety. I mean, that's a tool for you to be able to say that, that you have some tools in place to recognize it. And I feel like um, that pressure of not wanting to tell people around you, but you're going to need the people around you to get through it. Like, you yeah. can't get through anxiety by yourself. That right. doesn't even make sense. For sure. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but know? that's like the pressure is to be mm-hmm. like, oh, you know, I'm just going to work my way through it. And then, like, next thing you know, you're having health problems because you're bearing all that burden on your own. Mm-hmm. That's real. Like, it, it, you know, you have to admit it, be okay with it, the whole taboo of, or the stigma, like you were saying, around um, recognizing when things is not, it's okay for things not to be okay. Yeah. And that's real. Like, we, we talk about everything else on a societal level, economic level, and a you know, where America stands, but we very rarely just really talk about individual people that might not be doing well, right? The individual person. But that only comes with community because it's like you can't get to people on a, on a systematic level. You know, it's only community-based that you're going to be able to really recognize what's going on in individual people or even having that support system. Right? Yeah, I mean, I think that's the important thing is the support system mm-hmm. Right, like you and not feeling like you're alone, and like you have to take that burden on by yourself. Yeah, and not going to social media looking. For <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but uh, Tariq, we we've been going for a while. I know. we've been going a long time. I don't want to keep you at Sunday night. Yeah. Um. But thanks so much again for uh, coming out to the show. I appreciate it. It's been like I said, almost a year to the day since your last appearance. Yeah. So it's a real pleasure to have you back on, and you're always welcome. And if you need a, if you if you need a guest on your podcast, yes, you, so you got talk. my number and uh, you know uh, where to find me. So, yes. well, yeah, thank, thank you for having me. It, it Absolutely. is exciting to know that it's been a year um, almost. <laughs> right, day. it's crazy, right? And you know, so it's like a full circle thing for sure, but, um, right? Literally, like the Earth spun around <laughs> almost all the way around mm-hmm. since you've like been here last time. time. But I always enjoy great conversation. Yeah, for sure. I think it was really good. It's very organic and like it flowed like the whole time. Like mm-hmm. we could probably talk and I could re- <laughs> literally could talk another like two or three hours for sure. So I don't want to keep you too much longer. But uh, yeah, thanks again. Thank you. Holla. Oop. <laughs>